well. Holly asked me earlier, I said, are you ready? And I said, well, I'm nervously excited. And so uh, before I get started, actually, Robin, um, you're over there dancing. And the Lord just, he, was, he just said, I, I love to watch your dance. He said it so clearly to me. The thing about the kingdom of heaven is loves to watch you dance. And it's interesting that, Holly, you said that God's kind of doing something new because what he also said, Robin, was um, that as you begin to step out and dance, you're actually paving the way to, for the prophetic arts to increase here at our church. And, and, and so I would encourage you, if the king of heaven says he loves to watch you dance and, and you just got a word that as you do that, it's going to increase that, then, then do it very often. All right. Well, it is an, an honor to be here. It's been, uh, surprisingly, it's been about a year and a half since I've done this here. Um, I know I'm up here, I do, you know, start the services and that kind of thing, but in, in this capacity, sharing with you, it's actually been about a year and a half. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. And so the good and the bad of that is, the good news is, if you don't really like the way I speak, or you don't <laughs> like my message, or maybe, maybe you don't really care about me, it may be another year and a half before you got to hear me again. The disadvantage, the downside, is I have a year and a half worth of stuff. So honestly, I, I, don't, I don't know when I don't know when anybody's going home. Honestly, just kidding. All right, so I want to talk today about dealing with strongholds in our lives. And I believe that if you'll take what I say today, and this this is nothing, this this is a word from God, and you'll apply it, you'll do the work, not just hear it, but actually do the work, then it's going to bring liberation to your life. It's brought, brought tremendous liberation to my life, and I think it'll do the same for you. Before we do that, though, you know I love my declaration, so we're going we're gonna to make a declaration today. Is that okay with everybody? We're, we're, we're going to say it really loud. We're going to say it confidently. We're going to say it in faith. Most importantly, though, we're going to say the whole entire thing. You can't skip out on it. All right, you guys ready? All right, here we go. We're going to declare it. said, this will be, this will be the, best the best sermon I have ever heard, ever heard. at Plumtree Church, Plum Church. Church. Today. today. All right. If I say, if that's why you had to say it all. If you didn't say the last part of it, we all would have been liars. And so, I, so I use that in myself as a confident booster. So if, if I make dinner at home sometimes and then they're eating their tacos or their spaghetti or whatever I made, and I say, hey, is this the best tacos you've ever had today? And, they, and either they lie or they, they tell me the truth. So it's a, it's a really good confident booster. So one of the great mysteries to me in the whole entire Bible, or at least it's a mystery to me, I'm, I'm still getting a revelation on it. It's what happens positionally to us at the time of salvation. You know, before we get saved, we're here on planet Earth, right? Everybody, everybody knows that. But the minute we give our life to Christ, Ephesians 2.6 says that we're here on Earth, but at the same time, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So think about that. We live in two different places right now, all of us that are born again. We're here in Plumtree, North Carolina, but at the same time, you and I were seated with Christ in heavenly places. Where is Christ seated at right now? The right hand of the Father. So you and I were in Christ, in heavenly places, at the right hand of the Father. So I like to visualize this because I'm trying to get greater revelation on it. As I just close my eyes... And you can, let's, let's all do this together. You close your eyes, and, and we're in the throne room of God. And there in the center, there's this big, massive throne, and God is sitting on it. 
And to the very right, it's not a single throne, but it's a loveseat throne. Because you and I are seated with him in heavenly places. And so the cool thing about that is with Jesus, not only is he seated in heavenly places, Ephesians 1, Paul says that he's seated far above all principalities, powers, rulers, dominions, and all things are under his feet. Romans 16, 20, I want us to see this verse. This is what it says. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. So we know at the cross, the enemy was defeated and disarmed, right? Right? Amen? Okay, so let's go over this again. So you and I, right now, we're here on earth, but we're seated in Christ to heavenly places. At the right hand of the Father, we're seated far above all powers, principalities. The enemy has been disarmed. He's been defeated. And he's under our feet so much that our foot bruises his head. If you believe the word of God, I want you to say amen. 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 You heard that. You heard that, right? Okay. So if we have this enemy that's defeated, he's disarmed, he's under our feet, we're far above him, why does it seem like he's such a big deal in our lives? Why does it seem like that he continues to create havoc in our lives? Well, what I want to submit to you today is in our day-to-day lives, for the vast majority of us, the devil is not really your problem. But the strongholds that we've created in our life are. I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying that the enemy is not real. We saw in Texas that we, this past week that we have a very real devil, Right? And he still does some stuff. And I am very thankful that there are deliverance ministries because there are times in our life where the Bible is very clear, we rebuke the devil and he flees. But from the majority of us, the stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day basis is not the enemy, but it's our strongholds. You know what I've found in my life, though? I've found that it's really easy to blame the devil for my shortcomings. Right, there's this being that I cannot see, so it's easy to say, you know what, the reason I'm really crappy to my spouse is because the devil's on my back. Or because the devil won't get off my back, that's why I get really mad and I yell at my kids. Or because the devil won't leave me alone, you can fill in the blank of whatever your issue or your particular sin is. But if he's a defeated foe, then what's the real issue? The real issue is my stronghold. So what is a stronghold? If you look up the definition of a stronghold, it actually means it's a fortified city or a fortress. The word is used very often in the Old Testament, and it's always centered around that same thing as well. It's always a place where people go to defend themselves, people go to hide, people go um, just to protect themselves. You think about Jericho. You remember the Bible talks about its large walled cities, right? The city of Jericho was a stronghold for the people of Jericho. It's a place where they went to keep away, keep them and defend themselves from enemy armies. But in the New Testament, we only find this word used one time in the entire New Testament. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verse 4 and 5. 
This is Paul talking. Are we there? All right, this is Paul, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The one time it's used in the whole entire New Testament. You know, in the past, if you just said, Mark, what is your definition of a stronghold? I said, well, you know, there's, I mean, there's some kind of you know, demonic principality over some place, and there's some demonic principality that's over Plum Tree, North Carolina. It's creating this stronghold that keeps Plum Tree Church from doing the things that God wants her to do. Or there's some kind of demonic stronghold over a family that's keeping that family from receiving Christ, or it's keeping that family from receiving breakthrough or whatever. Or there's some kind of stronghold in, of sin in my life that I can't get out of. And I'm not saying that those things aren't true, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. See, Paul's not talking about a demonic principality. He's not even talking about the demonic. He's talking about the belief systems that we've created in our whole mind. Spiritual strongholds are the belief systems in our lives that are created when we come into agreement with past negative experiences. I'll read that again. Spiritual strongholds are belief systems in our lives that are created when we come into agreement with past negative experiences. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. The reason I have not shared in the past year and a half is not because Pastor Ryan hasn't offered. He's probably given me four or five invitations. What I found myself doing, though, was anytime he would give me, hey, would you like to speak? I would either say no, or let me pray about it, and the answer would always be no, or I'd say, you know what? Why don't you let Aaron or Marshall or, or somebody else speak that could do a better job than me? And it wasn't until recently that I realized what happened was I'd actually created a strong code in my life around my voice and around speaking in public. So the last time I spoke here, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and listen to this over. To actually, I'm, I'm going to make myself better at this. So I listened to it I don't know, probably four or five times, honestly. And so instead of making me better, what it did, it actually, it brought on, I agreed with past negative experiences. So I began to hear, I don't really like the way my voice sounds. And I began to listen to all the imperfections that I said. And I began to listen to how fast I spoke and how I slurred my words together and all the times that I stuttered and all those things that I said that I did not want to say that I felt really foolish in saying and all these great things that I'd written down that I never said once. What happened? I came into agreement with a past negative experience. The enemy came in and says, you know what? You're, you're not very good at this. You're actually really bad. And I remember at one point actually saying, I never want to speak at church again. Boom, there's the stronghold. You know, the only influence the enemy has in my life, your life, is when we come into agreement with his lies. He speaks the lies, and that's why, that's why I say that the devil isn't really that big of a deal, because once he speaks the lies, we grab hold of it, his job is done. He has no more work to do, because I've grabbed the hold of that, I've come into agreement with the lie, and, and it begins to change the way I see everything. Our strongholds help shape the way we see everything in life that is connected with that particular stronghold. Let me give you another example. 
You have a woman that's been in several abusive relationships. It's going to be very difficult for that person not to develop some kind of stronghold against men. Men are bad, they're evil, they cannot be trusted, they will hurt you. What happens? Unless she deals with the stronghold, let's say she finds a really healthy man. Things are going really, really well. All of a sudden, the stronghold rises up and it actually says, wait a minute, hold on. It reminds her of her past negative experiences that she's come into agreement with. Remember the last, last several times? That guy's going to hurt you. You can't trust him. He's evil. And so it completely sabotages the relationship. So until she actually deals with the stronghold, that's going to be the cycle that she's going to live in. All right, let me give you a biblical example. We're going to look at Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at the life of Gideon. Gideon was a very unlikely judge. And so just to give you a little back, backdrop into Judges 6, Israel has once again, they've, they've walked away from God. They've, they've followed after the foreign gods on the Amorites. And so as a result of that, God actually lets this oppressive nation, the Midianites, rise up against them for seven years. And Judges says that actually this cruel and oppressive government comes in and they just completely, they strip every Israel bear. They grow crops, they tear them down. They plunder from them, they steal their livestock, their herd, their animals. And it said after seven years, they left Israel completely impoverished. And then they cried out to God. God in his mercy, he sends a prophet to them. And let me, here's what he says. We're gonna, this is Judges 6. We're going to start in verse 8. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear or do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Is it? Is it? Are you back? Is it ringing? Is it there? Is that better? All right. So what did the prophet say? He reminded them of who, what God did for them, how he brought them up out of Egypt. And he, and he says, this is the reason why you're in the predicament that you're in. I asked you to do one thing, and you did the very opposite of that. Therefore, this is why this happened. Enter Gideon. So we're going we're to keep on going in verse 11. This is Gideon. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, or you mighty warrior. So this is our first introduction to Gideon. Here's a man that's hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. I, did, I didn't know what a wine press was, and so I looked up on the internet. It's this big kind of vat that's in the ground. So that's where we find Gideon. He's hiding. The future deliverer and judge of Israel is hiding. And what does God say to him? You mighty warrior. That should be some encouragement to us today. I'm, aren't you glad that God is not looking at your past? He's not even looking at who I am right now. When God sees you and I, he sees us through the lens of destiny. 
He sees us through the lens of prophetic purpose, and he doesn't call us coward. He calls us mighty warrior. I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that he sees me beyond who I am right now. So what does Gideon say? I want you to listen as Gideon gives his response. I want you to listen to see if you can pick up on where Gideon has come into agreement with past negative experiences. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. Now, I want to read to you how I hear Gideon say this. I don't know if you use this phrase in your house or not. I use, and it's, and it's done out of sarcasm, it's done out of frustration. I use, oh, my Lord, a lot. You guys ever use that? I'll give you an example of how I use it. So there was, I got behind uh, a car from another state that I will not name going up three mile, and they were going you know, 20, 25 miles an hour. Oh, my Lord, could you go any slower than what you're doing? So it's like this sarcastic, frustrated kind of thing. And so this is this, when I hear Gideon say this. So Gideon said to me, you remember the angel has just said all these great things. So Gideon says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I am sending you. So Gideon said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. A couple things I want to point out here. One, I love God's response. And this is God. They said, they believe, most commentaries, this is actually Jesus coming to Gideon. Um, I love Jesus or God's response. You know, Gideon has just told God, I don't really believe that you'll do what you say you'll do. You're the whole reason that we're in this mess we're in, and, and I've been lied to my entire life. You know, God doesn't get angry. What does he say? He says, go in this might of yours. I am there again. God is speaking into who he actually is, not who Gideon currently is at the time, but who he actually is. The second thing, you remember just a few verses back, the, the prophet came, right? The prophet came and he, he told Israel exactly why they were in the predicament they're in. And he reminded them of all God brought them out of. You think Gideon missed that? You think he missed that church service? You think maybe he was, he was hiding? I mean, even if he, he wasn't there, I, I guarantee that if a prophet comes and he gives that kind of prophetic word, Everyone's going to know about it, right? So it's very likely, I'm, I'm positive that Gideon, if he wasn't there, he'd heard about it. What happened though? I believe that Gideon heard that word through the ears and the lens of his stronghold. Because what, what did Gideon come into agreement with? God has abandoned us. Everything I've heard about God is a lie. Where are all the miracles that my father told us about? My family is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I am the weakest in my family. Therefore, I am the weakest and the least significant person in all of Israel. That's the agreement that he had come in with. Strong codes create the truth in how we see ourselves, our circumstances, and our situation. But I want us to see what's really happening here. So the Midianites aren't really Israel's problem. 
I mean, they're a symptom, but they're not really Israel's problem. There's not some demonic force, principality that's over Israel. If there is, that's not the problem. Because God has a solution to Israel's needs, and his name is Gideon. But the future of Israel, the plans and purposes of God, are are completely locked up into who Gideon thinks he is. They're completely locked up into Gideon's belief system. All God needed was one man. He needed one man that can completely deliver a nation, but that one man had to come into agreement with who he was, what God said about him, and what God said he could do. Again, that should encourage us. Because if God can take one man and completely deliver a nation, one man that can come into agreement that I'm going to think like God about who I am and what God's called me to do, what can he do with a little church in Plumtree, North Carolina? What can he do with us if we begin to say, you know what, God, I'm going to think like you think. God, I'm going to think what you say about me is true, that what I can do is true, and what you can do in and through me is true. What would happen if we could believe that? What would happen if we could actually do the work to get rid of the strongholds in our life, to get rid of our stinking thinking, and actually begin to think and act, talk like God? What would happen to plum tree around us? What would happen to the families in this area? What happens to the families in this church if we would begin to think, I am who God says I am, I can do exactly what God says I can do. What would happen to this nation? What would happen to North Carolina? If God can use one man, what can he do with the 50 or 60 of us that are here? Amen? But it takes some work. We're going to have to start thinking higher than what we're currently thinking. I said, what did Gideon do? Because we know, most of us probably know the story. He went on, him and 300 guys went and actually they delivered, they defeated several enemy armies. What did he do? I think he did honestly exactly what Paul instructs us to do. What did Paul say in there again in 2 Corinthians 10? He says, we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. If the greatest argument that you and I will have to cast down is the argument of our past experience and our feelings. Because our past experience and our feelings want to dictate our life. If our past experiences can keep us living in the past, then we'll never get free. So what do we do? We don't deny our past, right? Our, Our past is our past. Good, bad, ugly, our past is what it is. But what you and I have the ability to do, though, is we have the right to deny the past from having any say in my future. Because your past wants to constantly prophesy into your future. Your present wants to constantly prophesy into your future. We don't have to let it. We cast down our feelings. Our feelings do not validate truth. Our feelings just validate what we believe to be true. What did Gideon feel? God has abandoned us. God's a liar. Everything my fathers have told me is a lie. I am the weakest and I'm the least significant person of all of Israel. That, that was what Gideon was feeling. I tell you, some of the greatest feelings that you're going to have to overcome is the feeling of insignificance. 
I guarantee if you're not dealing with that right now, you have at some point in your life or you will. Because if the enemy can get us feeling weak and insignificant, guess what? You and I will never do great things for God. If I'm feeling insignificant, I will never pray bold prayers. If I'm feeling insignificant, I will never go out and I will never preach the gospel. If I'm feeling insignificant and weak, I will never go on the mission field. If I'm feeling insignificant and weak, I will never pray for the sick. Why? Because I feel that I have nothing to give. Why would God use me? I'm the weakest of all my clan, and my clan is the weakest in all of Israel. Our feelings aren't truth. They just validate what I believe to be true. You know, the greatest spiritual warfare that you and I can do is to believe higher than what we're currently believing and to think higher than what we're currently thinking. It is spiritual warfare to say I am the righteousness of God when I feel really unrighteous after I've just messed up. It is really great spiritual warfare for me to say God loves me as much as Jesus when I feel really unlovable. It is great spiritual warfare for me to say by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed when everything in my body is saying the exact opposite of that. It was great spiritual warfare for Gideon to believe that I am a mighty warrior while he was hiding in a wine press. It was great spiritual warfare for, for Gideon to believe that I can deliver Israel even though that I feel like right now I'm the most insignificant person in all of Israel. You'll do more good by taking 30 minutes and meditating on the promises of God and declaring who you are in God than you'll ever do by 30 minutes rebuking the devil. Do you know the devil wants you to get into a shouting match with him? He wants it. Why? Because that is less time than I am in the presence of my Father learning about who I am, renewing my mind where the, where the Word of God and declaring that who I am in Him. If all I'm doing is, devil, I rebuke you, devil, I rebuke you, devil, I rebuke you, that's less time I have in I am a son of God. I am powerful on the earth. I am anointed. The Holy Spirit anoints me to do great things. I can do the things that Jesus says I can do because He has gone to the Father. Right? Amen? Right. So how do I know if I've got a stronghold? Right? If we, don't, if we don't know what to look for, how do I know that I actually have one? Our Francis Frangipane, he said this. He says, if you want to identify the hidden strongholds in your life, you need only to survey the attitudes of your heart. Every area in your thinking that glistens with hope is an area which has been liberated by Christ. But any system of thinking that does not have hope which feels hopeless, is a stronghold that must be pulled down. Let me ask you, where are you hopeless? Where have you lost hope in your life? Have you lost hope that your marriage is ever going to get better? Have you lost hope that your finances are ever going to get better? Have you lost hope that you're ever going to get the job that you want or that you're ever going to get that promotion? Or that you're ever going to get healed. And these may not be things that I'm verbalizing with my mouth, but they're internal beliefs. I'm telling you, if, those, if there are those places in your life that you see no hope for a change, it's a stronghold. And it has to be brought down. It has to be dealt with. How do we regain hope? Through renewing our mind in the Word of God. By declaring who He says we are and His promises over our life. Take an inventory of your words. If you're saying a lot of never statements, 
I will never get married. I will never be healed. My finances are never going to get better. I'm never going to have a healthy relationship. I'm never going to become the person that God wants me to be. I would encourage you to ask if you have those, those statements that you do and take. Honestly, as I began to take count of what I say, there was a lot of junk that I said, not realizing it. It's so easy just to say these things that come natural. They're idle words that we just say out of our mouth, and they're detrimental to who we are in God. They're detrimental to our future. So take account of what you're saying. Stop using those never words. And if you're using them, ask Holy Spirit. If, I, if, I, if I'm saying I'm never going to get that promotion at work, ask Holy Spirit, have I built a stronghold in the area of my work? If I'm saying, you know what, that relationship is never going to get healed, ask Holy Spirit, have I developed a stronghold in that relationship? Are there repeating cycles, repeating negative cycles in your life? You're always having money issues. Are you in and out of relationships? Do you have a hard time keeping a job? Are you continually getting angry with someone and having to forgive them over and over and over because we can have a stronghold with someone else? And what happens when we have a stronghold with someone else, it does not matter how good, how bad that person is because we're viewing them and we're hearing them through the stronghold. Therefore, pretty much everything they say is going to be negative, or we're going to find some kind of defensive way to do it because we've developed a stronghold around that person. One of the, as I was preparing for this, one of the things that, that the Lord showed me, and honestly, I was really surprised by it, is I would ask Holy Spirit, if you're, continu- if you're continually battling sickness in your life or a particular sickness in your life, is there a stronghold related to that? Now, I'm not, I'm, listen to me. I'm not saying that there is. But I'm saying that if you've had prayer over and over and over, you've, you've fasted, you've declared, and nothing is shifting and nothing is changing, I would encourage you to get alone with God and say, God, is there a stronghold around this sickness in my life? Because more than likely what's going to happen is you're going to continue to have people pray for you. Ryan, Ryan's going to pray for you and nothing's going to happen. Or what may happen is, and we've seen this happen maybe in, in your life, is I have some ailment. I get prayed for. It goes away for 24, 40 hours and 48 hours and it comes right back. What if the actual, sim- the actual issue is not physical, but it's a belief system that I've created in my mind? Listen, I'm I'm not saying that whatever you're going through is that, but I'm saying it's worth spending time with God to see. And there's biblical basis for that. Matthew 13, Jesus in Nazareth. What What did it say? He went to Nazareth. He couldn't do any miracles, or he could do a few miracles. And I went back and I read the story today. What happened was Jesus comes in, and all these people that knew Jesus for when He's this little bitty guy. I said, where did he get all this wisdom? Is he not the carpenter's son? Is that not Mary and Joseph's son? Do we not know all of his brothers and sisters? Essentially, like, who does he think he is? And they said that it actually created an offense in their heart. Do you know that offense doesn't start here first? It starts here first. 
And so he wasn't able to do many miracles because of their unbelief. There again, unbelief doesn't start here. It starts here. It starts when we come into agreement with a lie. That lie takes root, which creates the unbelief in our life. And so it, it's worth getting alone with the Father. Say, God, this issue I'm dealing with over and over and over. Is it really a physical issue? Or is it a spiritual stronghold that needs to come down? Because when it comes down, then we can pray. And then you see things shift. Or maybe they even may shift as you're casting down that stronghold. I I want you to understand, I'm I'm not saying if you're sick or if you're dealing with that, that that it's a stronghold. But I'm not saying that it's not a stronghold either. I want you guys to stand up. All right, so, so we've got some work to do, right? How many of you want to have healthy thinking? Hopefully we all do. I, I want to think like God. And not only that, I want to think the way God thinks about me. How you view yourself, how you view yourself in relationship with God will keep you from moving forward into all God has created you to be. It's time for us to come out of agreement with lies. It's time for us to come out of agreement with strongholds and come into the people that God has created us to be. I hope you hear my heart behind this. If you feel condemned or convicted that that's not my heart at all, because I'm I'm dealing with all this same stuff. I've got freedom, but I know there's still more. And I guarantee you that every single one of us in here, we got one or more that we got to deal with. That we're, we're not, there's very few of us that may be exempt from this. But as we begin to cast down arguments, as we begin to take every thought captive, so when the enemy comes in and he tries to bring those lies, what we do, we, we take it captive. And the more we can take those thoughts captive, the less likely we are to believe lies and stay out of those strongholds. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you that you desire for us to be free. You desire for us to be free sons and daughters that are not bound by anything at all. So God, we commit our thinking to you. God, we ask that you would re-supernaturally renew our mind with your word and help us to see, God, who you are. Help us to see who we are in you and what you want to do in and through us. God, I believe that you want to change the world through us, God. I thank you that we get to partner with you. I thank you for the truth that we're right now seated in heavenly places far above the enemy and all of his attacks. I thank you, God. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are good. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you.